The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. I was reading this passage uh, this week as I was preparing. I mean, over the past few weeks, and it's a pretty interesting situation that Hagar finds herself in. And it just made me wonder that in the, the grand scheme as we've trailed our way through Genesis and over the last few weeks, months even, we've been exploring the story of Abraham, that Hagar finds herself caught up in the midst of the story. And sometimes it can feel like that you're at the mercy of someone else's narrative, that you've been drawn into a story that perhaps wasn't your own and that you're left to deal with consequences and choices that you didn't make. I can't help but wonder whether Hagar felt insignificant or inconsequential to this larger story. And I wonder whether she wanted to be seen and to be heard, to be acknowledged and and valued, maybe to play a different role or a larger part. And I wonder how much of her experience we can see in our own experiences. Um, Today our passage... It continues to explore the events um, that have led towards and have continued after the promise that God made to give Abraham so many descendants that like the dust of earth, they cannot be counted. Uh, In the story of Abraham, we see an Abraham who moves from questioning, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? To an Abraham that believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. We also see in the same story, Sarah, or Sarai as she begins, go from, hey, in order to fulfill this promise, why don't you sleep with my servant? Perhaps I can have children through her. To a point where she reaches, in our passage today, get rid of that slave woman and her son, from servant to slave woman. And today we also have the opportunity to explore the story of Hagar and Ishmael. In Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, it says, When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. Sarah turned to Abraham and demanded, Get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share the inheritance with my son Isaac. I won't have it. And as you can imagine, this upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was also his son. Um, Right at the beginning here, it says, When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, that places us somewhere around age three to nine. Supposedly, in historical times, that was the approximate age. And if my math was right, reading back, this places Ishmael anywhere between the age of 18 to mid-ish 20s. But God told Abraham, Do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you. For Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, but I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son, because he is your son too. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food in a container of water, 
strapped them on Hagar's shoulders. Then he sent her away with their son, and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Bathsheba. This was not the first time that Hagar had departed from Abraham and Sarah. At an earlier chapter of Genesis, we see that Sarah, or Sarai at that time, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. Abraham agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Abraham had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to uh, treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. And Sarai said to Abraham, This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The history between Hagar and Sarah is contentious. It's filled with resentment towards one another, with contempt and pain and pressure. And understandably so. Last week, when Brian spoke and telling the story of Isaac's birth, he captured that relief that must have been felt by those there, that this promise of a great nation, which seemed to be resting in, in, her, in her eyes entirely on Sarah's shoulders, that there was a promise that had now come to fulfillment. And while we know that Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter, there was a point where Sarah laughed at the promise of God and disbelief. Brian captured last week that what would have felt like promise and hope and potential to Abraham was characterized as pressure and pain for Sarah. Now he delved into the, the idea that you know infertility as we come to know it can bring with it a lot of grief and a lot of concern and maybe a a, lot, a, a portion of blame. And that at this time, while they may not have characterized it in that way, those experiences would have been the same. And in today's story, we see that pressure and that pain and the shame that Sarah would have felt outworking and impacting on Hagar's life. Hagar did not ask to be a part of Abraham's story. And at an earlier point in Genesis, we when we see the uh, departure of Lot, his nephew, we understand that there were so many servants and workers and shepherds that they had amassed in their wealth, that they had to split land between them. And you can imagine that there is potential that there are a lot of servants that were available for this task. And out of all of them, it was Hagar who was chosen. She didn't request to partake in the promise of God, yet here she was, an unwilling party offered in a human attempt to fulfill a godly covenant. And so Hagar finds herself at an earlier point in the wilderness. And again today, she finds herself there. The two accounts, the experiences that she had are actually quite similar. Richard, do you mind? Pushing the next button doesn't seem to be working.
There we are. So I've read through the scripture of both parts, and in here we see that on two occasions, the angel of the Lord in her first experience in the wilderness came to her and said, Return to your mistress, submit to her authority. He then added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, You are now pregnant, will give birth to a son. You're to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, You are the God who sees me. She also said, Have I truly seen the one who sees me? And hereafter, Abraham had got up early, given her some food, some water, sent her on her way, and she's wandering aimlessly. When the water was gone, she put down the boy in the shade of the bush. She went and sat down by herself. She didn't want to watch the boy die. She burst into tears. But God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lays there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened Hagar's eyes and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. You can imagine prior to both of these encounters, there would have been an immense sense of grief and despair that Hagar felt. She was caught up in a mess that she didn't ask to be a part of, and she was dealing with some quite dire consequences. But she was met. Uh, Craig Groschel on um, Threads this week. I don't know if you know Threads. It's the new Twitter. It's the Instagram version. It's pretty fun. I'm trying to build my profile. I don't need a little blue verified tick, but, I, but I've been on there a bit just uh, exploring, connecting with different people. And he says that um, God is a way of bringing good things out of wrong terms. And that was his summary of Romans 8.28. And in the New Living Translation, it says, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Sometimes I think it's easy to forget that there's a plan at play. I know uh, last week, uh, Bill, I forget, I think you commented, it might have been Mike or someone in the congregation, but you, you reminded us that God's never had to be taught anything. So as the story of promise plays out, we see both Sarah and Abraham look to achieve that promise by merits that they devised. And I must admit, when I was reading this story and kind of getting caught up in the emotion, the experience that Hagar must have had. I forgot. I pretended it as God didn't know that they would have done that. I think it's foolish to pretend that God hadn't known Hagar would be brought into the fold and that there wasn't a purpose for her in what would have felt like a mistake. And just as we saw God bring relief and joy to Abraham and to Sarah with the birth of their son Isaac, we see that same God offer the same relief and joy to Hagar. Because while that pressure and that pain that Sarah felt overflowed and infiltrated Hagar's life, Hagar also experienced the promise and faithfulness of God. You know, there's a beautiful component to Hagar's story. Scripturally, she's actually the first person to give God a name outside of God. You are the God who sees me. 
I saw again someone on uh, threads today talk about the fact that this was an, an African slave woman who, for all intents and purposes, features so smallly at the beginning in this larger story of, of Abraham who's heralded as the father of faith, and she is the one who gives God his first name. That she has that experience, comes to understand that I've truly seen the one who sees me. She was barely a note in the margins, but she was brought into the promise of God. And when she was brought in there, there was a God of promise who would see through in his faithfulness, causing everything to work together for the good, to continue his work until it was finally finished. I think it's important to note that um, while we could, after this experience, say that, you know, Hagar loved God and was a part of his purpose, that it was also Abraham and out of the life of Abraham that Hagar experienced that faithfulness. I know um, uh, about a year or two ago we were reading through the story of Noah, um, myself, Brian, Cam, and Lance, and we were looking at uh, the, the portion of the story where Noah's he's built the ark, he's got all the animals, they've gone out, there's been the flood, the rains, and the rainwaters are ceasing. And he sends out his dove or his crow, I forget which one it is. He sends out a bird. That's an all-encompassing term. And the bird returns a couple of times and comes back. And then it goes and it gets to a point where they can depart from the boat. And the first thing Noah does is he builds this altar. And we were talking about this, that remembrance of God, that God had called Noah to build that ark. And as the rest of humanity was wiped out, it was Noah who remained because he was righteous. In God's eyes. But along with Noah was his family, his sons, his wife, and their wives. Sons, wives, not wives, wife. And that it was from Noah's purpose that these people too were saved. And we see the same thing happening here. Do you know we're told twice that Ishmael, even though he was a human attempt to fulfill that godly covenant, that he too would receive the promise that God gave Abraham. He told Hagar in the wilderness that I will give you more descendants than you can count. And he told Abraham in today's passage that while Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son because he is your son too. I'm reminded in today's passage, if we look here and we ask, what does this tell us about God? It's that God cannot be unfaithful. And to Timothy, we're told, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. He did not deny himself to Sarah, to Abraham, and he did not deny himself to Hagar. But our story with Hagar is not over yet. We continue reading in verse 17. That God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. What's wrong? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container, gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. 
He became a skillful archer and he settled into the wilderness of Paran. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. I find it cool that as the story begins and Hagar's in the wilderness and she's feeling this great despair that she places her son in the shade of a bush and goes away knowing that the inevitable might occur. That when she's met, they're not taken out of the wilderness, but God remains with them in the wilderness. I, um, I know for myself, when I think about the, the Bible and I think about stories from the Bible, I tend to kind of view it, the book in its entirety, as like a collection of stories, a collection of of tales, or lessons, and instructions, of poems and expressions. But very, very rarely do I think of it as a story of its own, in entirety. I know that in these stories that we read about, whether we read them in isolation or as a larger picture, we see the character of God showcased. We see that in these stories, God is merciful, he is kind, he's just, he's righteous, and he's faithful. I know that we've seen this as we've explored these passages in Genesis, beginning in Genesis 11 through to now, in the story of Abraham, of Sarah, of Lot, of Hagar, of Ishmael, and many others who crossed paths with Abraham while this covenant came to fulfillment. We have seen God and his incredible character shown time and again. But I'm mindful, and I ended up having to, to rework this quite a bit, because I began to paint it as if this was Abraham's story and Hagar was a character within it. But scripture is not just a collection of stories or expressions or lessons or instructions. It is God's story that these people get to play a part in. It is the telling of his plans, of his promises, of his power. And it is his telling and his reminder that in all things he will find the good be the good, and see them through to completion. These were three verses that continued to come back to me as I read this passage and prepare for this morning. In 2 Timothy 2.13, we read that if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. In Romans 8.28, it says that we know God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and accord according to his purpose for them. And in Philippians 1, 6, it says, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And I want to note that as the last couple of months have unfolded, whether this is your first time here this morning, this is the first story that you're hearing, or you've been with us the entire time, that 
the circumstances you might find yourself in may mirror that of Abraham. Abraham when he questioned God or Abraham when he believed God. Perhaps you find yourself in the circumstances like Sarah when she laughed at God or when Sarah laughed with God. Or maybe, maybe you find yourself in the circumstances like Hagar who was at the mercy of others or maybe you were Hagar who was at the mercy of the one who sees her. But today I wanted to encourage you that no matter where you are in your walk of life, no matter where you find yourself in your story, know that your story is very much God's story. And that where we may be unfaithful, He remains faithful. And that whatever He has started, that He has called you and His purposes, He will see through until it is finally finished. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatitu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.